Have you ever, as a mother, wondered what you should do to stimulate your child's learning when they're not in school? Should you have them do additional stuff? Should you let them have a break during the summer? We're going to tackle that today and a little bit more. Stay tuned. Welcome to the American Mothers Mom to Mom podcast, a show that lifts encourages, supports, and educates mothers to do their best in their awesome responsibility to raise, teach, and champion the rising generation. Join us as we talk to and answer questions from mothers nationwide about the challenges, heartbreaks, joys, and lessons learned from one mother to another. Welcome to the American Mothers Mom to Mom podcast. We are so pleased to welcome back Pam Sayo for a second segment because she had so many good things to say last week that we had to bring her back to share more bits of wisdom with you. Our guest today was born and raised in Hawaii, but she is a world learner. Pamela Zayo has been teaching her whole life from teaching teachers behavior motivation for their students to teaching students in elementary school and her latest endeavor, training musical theater performers. She has a grandbaby girl, Rosalie Jade, and a wonderful daughter and son-in-law that live too far. She yearns to someday own a horse and serve missions for her church. We are pleased to have Pam join us today. Pam, thanks for being here. Thank you for the invitation. We have been talking to Pam Sayo about children and education and all that fun stuff that sometimes is easy and sometimes is really challenging for us as parents and as educators. So Pam, I'd like to ask a question. What do you think that mothers can do to help stimulate their children when they are not in school, say when they're off for summer break? A good question let them be kids. Mm. (laughs) The reason I say that is, and this is the reason that I don't give homework either. We tackle school for that six and a half hours and we go strong and we go deep, right? So that's what we do. And then they go home and I want them to play. Same thing with the summer. Uh, Is it detrimental to go two months without learning? Possibly, (laughs) possibly, but We have to balance the maintenance of the information with letting them be kids. Because when we think about this as adults, if I don't like my job, I can quit. Mm -hmm. Kids cannot quit school. I always tell my students, if your parents don't bring you to school, they'll get thrown into jail because it's Mm -hmm. law that they have to, it's called truancy. You have to go to school. It's a blessing. And it's a curse sometimes. We're thinking a whole 180 days with this teacher, I am not sure how that's going to go because our children don't have a break from that. So if we understand that and help them work through it, because our role as parents is not to shield them from danger and bad situations. Our job as parents is to help our kids through those because they will happen for one reason or another. Maybe they get assigned a teacher that just rubs them the wrong way. Do we go to the principal and ask for a switch? 
or do we help our children through that? I, from the school point of view, think that parenting should be helping our kids do that. That's what I did with my daughter. I said, how can I help you through this? Well, my teacher hates me. Okay, <laughs> I know how you can feel that way, but what can we do? Do you want me to talk to your teacher? What do you want me to do here to help you through this? That advocacy is important to them, number one. But going back to your original question about what should we do during the summer? I just think letting them be kids and having them enjoy that respite of the hard work that's going to happen. And school is hard. It's hard academically. It's hard behaviorally. The schedule's hard. We're asking them to go through so many challenges throughout the 180 days that they have. So I say a little bit of maintenance, but by all means, give them choices because this is the time that they get to do it and have Mm. fun. I like that you brought in the choices because I think that's part of it. Because maybe you just need to ask, what do you want to do on your time off, right? (laughs) Maybe they do want to keep learning. Maybe they want to play school like you did when you were a little girl. (laughs) Maybe that is like their passion, but maybe they want to read a book on something else or whatever. I love that idea of letting them be kids for as long as possible because my kids sure needed it. Now, this next follow-up question is very personal, especially to me. I have two sons with special needs, and then I have another son who had a learning disability. What if they really don't like learning And we've kind of talked about how that can play into behaviors. How can we find out what the issue is and make it better? Wonderful question. I love discussions. And I'm sure you've done that with your sons, right? Oh, yeah. What is it? So what happens? Why don't you want to go to school? What is hard? And what do they say? Mm -hmm. I'm turning the tables here. What do they say? Can you get information from them? Well, I have two on the autism spectrum. So one of them is able to communicate with me verbally. One of them is not. So in school, thank goodness. I think when you have a child in the special education program, there has to be a ton of communication between teachers and students and parents. I don't know how you cannot be involved. As we integrated them into classrooms, there was a whole bunch of communication going on there when they were younger especially the two on the autism spectrum couldn't communicate with me. So it was more me learning how I could communicate with them and set up schedules. I actually learned a lot from the teachers as I watched how they helped my children learn a schedule that I needed to make a visual schedule and that helped them. So I think that parents partnering with teachers can also benefit us as parents. If our children have special needs that we didn't learn about this. I never got a degree in speech therapy. I never got a degree in autism teaching them. And so I learned a lot from teachers from that. But for example, my son that ended up having a learning disability, that was hard because he was quote unquote normal, especially compared to my other kids. So I guess that is the question I'd love to just bring up to pick your brain a little more, because I know it was such a struggle for us to even get the correct diagnosis for him. And he thought he was a failure for so long because he was having a hard time reading. And if you can't read very well, it impacts your self-esteem. It impacts every subject because you're reading the assignment and then having to process that and answer the questions. And 
Homework was a bear because he'd come home and he was just done. I tried for an hour and a half to get him to do the one page of homework. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just pulling my hair out. <laughs> and that's what I don't want parents to go through. I've heard that all the time. And that actually is a part of the destruction of learning. Mm. We ask parents to go, okay, can you do this with your child? And the parents try too. So now it's coming from all angles, right? It's hard in school and now it's hard at home and I can't play until I do this. Mm-hmm. And just everything is hard. The original question was how do we <laughs> help our, our children? Yeah. <laughs> if they don't like learning, how can we find out what the issue is and make it better? So it does go back to the conversation. Why don't you want to learn? Is it hard? Because I already know that 95% of disengagement and not wanting to do the work is because it's either, it's not appropriate. It's not the right level for them. It's either too hard or too easy. Mm. Okay, so, so there's always my first question is why don't you want to do it? They may say it's boring. Okay. Then dig deeper. Why is it boring? To have this conversation is important and to get to why they are feeling the way they feel. And again, whether you get anything out of that or not, another one of our tools to behaviors that we want is building relationships. So you're having this conversation and they know that you care about them. That's points for that either way around, even if you don't get to the bottom of it. So having those conversations are super important. How old was it when, and I appreciate using this specific example, because I think this is important if it's okay with you. So how old was he, when you did discover that there was a possible problem with like, he didn't like learning. Was this from day one kindergarten? He's like, I don't want to go to school. How did this look? I think by the time he was in first grade, that I really started noticing he had a great kindergarten teacher, kids in kindergarten, you know, they're a little squirrely. If they're not focusing, the teacher's not freaking generally. Right. (laughs) So first, second grade, I knew something was wrong. And I remember getting his vision tested. I remember one of his teachers, like he just needs medication. And that was a hard year. Let me just say, she's like, he's just hyperactive. He doesn't want to focus. He needs medication to help him hold still. And I just remember thinking, okay. He's just full of life. He's just full of energy. And sometimes asking them to hold still when they're full of energy is hard, but he actually ended up having an issue where his, his brain and his eyes had never learned to coordinate. And so even though I'd taken him to an eye doctor and they saw that he could read, he can see the ABCs on the board, his two eyes were not coordinating. And so he had to end up getting vision therapy. It's like physical therapy for your eyes where they train your brain and your eyes to work together. But we didn't discover that until the summer before his fifth grade year. And so by that time he had convinced himself in his mind, I'm dumb. I knew he wasn't. And I had teachers who believed that he's smart. He can do these things, but he just wasn't able to process what he was reading like the rest of the students in the class. So sometimes the answer isn't like one of the easy ones. It's not dyslexia. You know what I mean? And so you're just like pulling your hair out as a parent going, I know my kid is smart and we're having challenges. I was working with teachers. It was just a hard situation all around. So sometimes finding what the issue is, isn't as easy as it's the normal top 10 challenges. Do you know what I mean? Yes. yes. So how old is he now? He is now 24. 
And school was never his favorite thing, but he is actually in a vocational school where he's working to become a mechanic and he's more hands-on type person, more hands-on type learning. And this has been perfect for him. Yes. So I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning, regardless of whether we know why the situation is happening, we still have to find the little successes. So for example, I decided, no, I'm not going to do an hour of this. I'm going to have them, instead of doing the 27 problems, I'm going to have them do three and call it good. And that's those types of modifications. I have my degree in special education as well. And I think the most important thing that they teach us with that is modification. Mm. We don't have to know why necessarily. We want to know why so we can know exactly how to tackle it. But it just goes back to... <clears throat> Behaviorally, I feel like behaviors can be adjusted no matter what, not only adjusted, but can be an indicator no matter what the cause is. So teachers or parents, we eventually want to figure out what the issues are and the core of the problem, but it's not necessary to help them to be successful behaviorally or academically. Maybe academically, not so much, because if there's a rift, then we have to find that and help the child through. But behaviorally, and to feel good about themselves, and if we're talking about the love of learning, that's when we modify. We modify, we do what we know that they can do. We scale back, and even if it looks like, well, they'll never catch up, it doesn't matter because we want to maintain that love of learning because you can't get any learning done if they hate being there. Mm -hmm. which is the opposite of love, right? What do we do? We scale back and we go, how can we help? Okay, how many problems do you want to do? Even if it's going back like that. And we may think, well, you know, he should learn how to do the 27 problems. That's a life lesson too. You got to have grit and da, 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 you know? And of course that's the balance, right? Do we teach them grit or do we maintain the love of learning? I was thinking about my youngest son. He thought he was stupid because he just got bored doing the same thing over and over and over again. He says, I know it, mom. And so modification would have really helped him. I took him to a parent-teacher conference and I walked in with him and the teacher says, he doesn't need to be here. I go, yes, he does. Because she showed us the standardized test and where he fell in it. And he was in the 90-something percentile. And I go, so what do you think about that? He goes, I thought it was stupid. I go, obviously you're not. So modification would have been a good thing for him because doing the same things over and over and over again did not help him feel like he was successful. He had to still do the same things over and over. So modification for him might have been a good thing. Even though he was successful at it? No, he didn't turn in his work because he didn't want to do it. <laughs> oh, yes. That's what I'm talking about. The behavior. Yeah. Why aren't you turning in your work? Well, because it's too easy. Okay, boom. There's the answer. Yeah, it was just boring to him because he knew yeah. the answers. Why did he have to do exactly. 27 problems when three would have told him that he knew? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I totally agree with that. Sometimes, actually, that's another way to encourage love of learning. I used to do something that was really fun. I used to give them pretests. And if they got 90% or better, I'm like, boom, you get free time now. You know, love that and, idea because I thought, why am I drilling this? If you already know it every so often, I'd say I pull them in, though, when they're doing their free time I'd say, OK, I want you to do this problem. OK, you got that. OK, we're good. You can go back to your whatever your playtime is. And I would have that conversation with their parents. I'd say if they test out. What do you want them to do? And the parent will go, well, what do you want? 
to do, Charlie? And Charlie would say, well, I'd like to play on the computer. And the mom's like, is that okay? And I said, yes. And then we go, okay. And that's how that happened. You know, that mm-hmm. teamwork. And again, going back to that conversation and bringing them in and that's really important for them. And then if I really wanted Charlie to do something else, I would have told the parent and Charlie and then say, okay, I know you want to just play in a computer game, but that's not going to be okay for me. These are your choices, that type of thing. But you test it out. So why sit here when everyone else is trying to learn how to do long division and you already know it? That's what I would do in the classroom just to maintain that love of learning. So what does that look like at home? It's really tough. If you have a teacher who's like, no, I know Charlie knows it, but I wanted to do it anyway. That's when the parenting comes in and you go, okay, Charlie, your teacher says you need to do the work in order to get a grade. So we're not learning multiplication here now. We're not learning division because we know you know that. Now we're learning, this is a lesson in grit. So how are you going to learn that? And discipline. It helps them learn discipline and the job needs to be done. So it needs to be done. If that's the conversation, if that's the lesson you want them to learn right at that moment, then that's your parenting prerogative, right? I know your teacher says you have to do it and for you to get a good grade. So we're going to have to do it. Okay. So what are we going to do? Like, how can I do it? It may be sometimes uh, that's when you're like, okay, if you can do this, then then I'll go buy you a donut. (laughs) That's where one of the articles I was reading said bribery works. (laughs) And and I'm not a briber, but sometimes I guess it's a reward. You know, ahead of time, it's a reward. Then you can do it. I do also say that in jest because there is a better way to do it. There's a better way. And this is another one of the tools. Like I said, these tools work in the classroom, but they work in home too. So as a parent, I would use my teaching expectations with exactness tool. If I need my kid to get on the ball and do what he needs or she needs to do, I would do this. And the five steps are... Why do you think it's important that the teacher wants you to do your work, even though you know how to do it? That's step one, the rationale. Well, because maybe because I can learn like discipline. Yes. What are some other reasons? Oh, maybe because, you know, and you get, you draw it out of your child of why it's important that you do this behavior, whether you agree with it or not. In fact, I just consulted with a principal and he's like, we're taking away cell phones. How do we do this? I was like, have a conversation with them. List reasons. Why do you think it's important that we're asking you to not have cell phones? Same thing here. Why is it important that your teacher is asking you and I support your teacher? So why do you think we're asking you to do the 27 problems, even though you know how to do it? And you'll get the right answer because they're smart. You'll get the right answer from them. And then it's like, oh, so what does that look like? Step two, what does that look like? Well, I come do my homework. How can we do it? What do you want to do? Do you want to do it as soon as you get home? Or what do you want to do? Yeah, I'll just do it when I get home, get it out of the way. Okay, cool. So now if you don't do it, what's going to happen? Step three, if you don't do it, what's going to happen? Well, I'm probably going to get a bad grade. Is that important to you? No, not really. (laughs) Then you have a different conversation. Well, why is it important for you to get good grades? Okay. I don't know. It could go anywhere from there, but it's the conversation and it's hearing them and it's trying to get the rationale and exactly what it looks like. Okay. So after you decide, fingers crossed, he says he's going to do the 27 problems when he gets home. So before he leaves for school, this is another part of the tool. Before he leaves the school, he's going to say, okay, when you come home, we decided it was your idea. You're going to come home and straight away do your math problems, right? Yeah, fine. Okay. And then he comes home. Hey, remember what we decided this morning? I reminded you so that you don't get the kickback, right? Well, I don't want to do it today. If you remind them proactively, teach them, prompt them. Remember when you get home, 
you know, when they get home, okay, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but grab your snack and do your math, right? Yeah. Okay. That type of thing. That's where that tool comes into play. Hmm. So I'm kind of piecing all this together. And what I'm really seeing is, first of all, that communication between parents and teachers is imperative, especially if you have a child who is struggling, whether because they're too smart or whether because there's a challenge going on there. The second thing that I've really pulled out from this conversation is the importance of finding the right modification for your child. That education, even though teachers are teaching a big classroom, can be modified to the individual and what they need. Obviously, there's a conversation there that has to happen between parents and the student and the teacher and all that stuff. So overall, it boils down to communication, right? Yes, it does. And that's the how, but the why is that we don't want to get on the path of destroying the love of learning because Mm. our kids are born with that. They're born with that. You see what they do. You see a newborn baby. They're like looking around. They're trying to learn. That's what life is about. That's what they naturally are wired to do is to grab information. And somewhere along the way, it gets destroyed. So the why is we're just trying to maintain their love. And there are ways that we can maintain it so that it doesn't go to where we're trying to fix things. And that's paying attention, having those discussions. How was school today? My teacher got mad at me, yelled at me. Why? what happened? Not what did you do, but what happened? What do you think happened? Why why did she yell at you? What do you think? So that's what communication comes in because we want to nip it in the bud before they go down that road of destroying love of learning. That's why communication is important. That's why modifying is important because we want to maintain that. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Pam, for spending time with us today. You've given me some great ideas to support my grandchildren. (laughs) and encourage my children in helping their children. I just love the perspective you've given from the teacher's point of view and how we as parents can support you and continue the love of learning for our children. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. So Pam, before we go, I know that there are going to be mothers out there who have been so impressed by what you've been teaching today, and they would probably like to reach out to you or learn more from you and your perspective. Is there any way that they can reach out to you or contact you or any advice that you would give them? Yes, I would love to get in contact with parents and teachers. We have a website. It's called educatorsuccess1.com. So www.educatorsuccess1.com. You can reach out. I give a lot of free things out there because I want to give back. I am also writing a book. It's more geared towards teachers right now, but as you can see, these tools really help in the home as well. The book is called Rewards and Punishment Don't Work. So now what? I think that's what we need to go to the next step because teachers are frustrated, even parents. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page that I give out free tips all the time according to these tools. Instagram is Educator Success Classroom MGT for management. That's Instagram. The Facebook page is the Art of Classroom Management. I'm just really here for you because I think that finding a positive way to help our children or people around us to do the right things out of choice and not out of coercion is so much better for everybody. I'd love to connect. Those will probably be posted in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the American Mothers Mom to Mom podcast. We really appreciate having you here today. 
and for sharing your wisdom, because I know that there are a lot of mothers out there who are struggling perhaps with some of the things that we've talked about today. And this has been very meaningful to them just as it's been meaningful to me. So thank you. Thank you. Everyone has a special mother that has impacted them, whether it is their own mother or another inspirational mother who has supported them and helped them through life. You can honor that mother by nominating her as Mother of the Year. American Mother accepts nominations from Mother's Day through September 15th. For more information or to submit a nomination, go to www.americanmothers.org slash nominate. Hi, my name is Jane Davidson. I'm the 2022 Mother of the Year from New Hampshire. The thing that probably surprised me the most was how hard it is, but on the flip side, how rewarding it is. I'm the mother of three grown daughters and the grandmother of seven grandchildren, ranging from age 19 down to almost eight. It's hard work being a mother. I just thought, oh, it's one of those things, you know, but it's constant and it never ends. Thing that surprised me the most was how wonderful it is and how seeing that baby or that grandchild for the first time is just, it's a miracle. And you think we created this child. And how did we ever create such a wonderful being? Grief is a very real part of our lives. And grief is more than just loss or death. Next week, we'll talk about when grief can come upon us and how we can deal with it and learn how to manage grief. Stay tuned next week. Hi, I'm Nancy Kennedy. I am the mother of the year for Utah. How do I encourage my children to never give up? We live in Utah. We've always been a very outdoor and active family. We hike, we ski, we rappel off mountains. I've got pictures of a three-year-old hanging on a rope, having the time of her life. But when we're all in it together and working and doing, they know we've got to go so far to get to the end of the trail. We've got to carry our backpacks. We've got to be prepared. We set out for the adventure and we make plans for problems. Because if you're out in the middle of the Utah desert and you run out of water, you've got some serious issues. So all the years we've played and worked with our kids, all my kids have pictures wearing whistles around their necks when they're little, sending off into the parks. We just have planned to work and to teach. And then that goes over into every other aspect of their lives because they know we've got goals. We've got things we want to achieve, mountains to climb, as it were. And they know that we have to prepare and put the steps in place and that you just keep going and doing by the virtue of being where we're being and are living where we live we have the chance to talk to our kids and show them. My husband's a rancher, grew up on a large cattle ranch in a very small and desolate part of Utah. And as the kids would go up there and would work and help out, they know if you don't feed the cows, they die. This is not an option. You can't just say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Whereas if you live in the city and don't mow the grass, it's not a big deal. But as the kids see that there is a, an a reason for everything and that you've got to keep going and doing 
it's just keep going and doing, and we've got some great kids. My kids are just terrific and they're still growing and learning and now raising new babies. I think they've done pretty well. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of mom-to-mom encouragement. We understand that being a mother can be overwhelming, but we hope that you found something useful you can apply to your own life. We invite you to share this episode with a friend who might also enjoy the message. The mission of American Mothers is to support mothers, empowering them to positively impact their families and communities. We want each one of you to discover and share your innate, inherent, and natural abilities to bless your children and others. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the American Mothers Mom to Mom podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of American Mothers Incorporated, its members or employees. AMI is not responsible for, nor does it verify the accuracy of the information contained in the podcast, nor does the series constitute any professional advice or services. We look forward to visiting with you one mom to another next week. Until then, just do your best at mothering and remember you're not alone. You've got an army of mothers all around you cheering you on.